So a lot of you guys probably remember the pumpkin saga from back in the day uh, with me, Mr. Atheist, a bunch of other people. We were all dealing with somebody who goes by the name of Tommy McMurtry. And he famously called Mr. Atheist a pumpkin because he's the biggest fruit on earth, which, by the way, is actually a jackfruit, so take that. But he was saying some extremely questionable and concerning things about the LGBT community and how he felt about them. Uh, I, I don't know what I can say on here without being shut down completely, so I'm going to be real careful. We'll just say he was expressing an interest in um, violence, basically, against them. He, he, wanted, he wanted the death penalty for LGBT people, basically. That's what it, that's what it came down to. So we actually, uh, they had a Make America Straight Again conference, quote-unquote, I guess, during Pride Week. Right around the same time when the whole Orlando thing happened at the nightclub, the Pulse nightclub thing. Uh, like I said, I'm watching my words carefully because Holy Kool-Aid actually talked about this and didn't really watch his language. And it isn't even about monetization. My podcast brings in almost nothing anyways. This is where I say what I want to say. But when Holy Kool-Aid talked about it on his channel, they basically removed his ability to upload videos for like a month or something like that or a week and gave him like content strikes and all kinds of really bad stuff. And his channel almost got deleted over it. So it and not to mention the fact that this video just won't get any reach at all. Like YouTube just will not present it to anybody if you aren't extremely careful about what you say. I could care less about monetization on this channel. Um, it's really about reach and not getting shut down, like literally getting my channel shut down. So anyway, not a huge fan of how that operates, uh, but it is what it is. So just gonna do what I can do. Um, so Tommy McMurtry is a piece of garbage and he has said some really, really horrific, terrible things about the LGBT community, like really bad stuff. So I wanted to take a quick look at this article here. Uh, it's by Hemant Mehta. Of course, I read from his blog articles pretty good bit. But the title of the article is Hate Preacher. Girls who look like Rachel Maddow are repulsive to normal men. Repulsive, quote unquote, to quote-unquote normal men. When we were doing the whole pumpkin saga thing, me and Mr. Atheist and everybody, we reached out to Hemant Meta and we got him to basically post a blog article about the Make America Straight Again conference, like at the time. So Hemant Meta has these guys have been on his radar for a while as a result of what we were working on. Glad to see that he's still on top of it, still talking about it and everything. Let's get into the article. It says... Pastor Tommy McMurtry of Liberty Baptist Church in Illinois is one of those new independent fundamentalist Baptist preachers whose every sermon seems to be a hate-filled diatribe against LGBTQ people. A few months ago, he delivered a sermon in which he longed for the good old days when being anti-gay was respected. Those were the days, he said, when we put gay people in their place, six feet under. And unfortunately, we've forgotten that in our country. 
In September, he suggested that anyone who respected gay people was insane, quote-unquote. He's still preaching the same sort of hate in the name of Christianity. Yesterday, in a sermon all about how the men in the church should raise their daughters, he offered all sorts of stereotypically sexist pieces of advice. Keep her pure, make sure she's dressing conservatively, etc. At one point, he said girls shouldn't cut their hair. Then he went full bigot around the 2450 mark. I'm not, I'm not going to play it. I, I don't want to risk, you know, get like content strike or copyright or anything like that. It is naturally repulsive for, this is a quote from the video, from the timestamp he gave. It is naturally repulsive for a woman to look like a man and to dress like a man and to act like a man. But yet, what is it that feminism is promoting? They're promoting women acting like men, looking like men, dressing like men, doing all the work that men do. And it's feminism that's pushing all this stuff. It's feminism. They're the ones that want to mess with you and try to get you doing things in a more gender-neutral way. And the truth is, that's repulsive. That is naturally repulsive. If you're going to let your daughter get caught up in that kind of junk, just understand she will be repulsive to a normal, decent guy. And you're going to want your daughter to marry a good guy, but you're going to let her dress like a man, act like a man, be like a man? That's going to be repulsive. She doesn't have to be repulsive. It's like we say somebody is ugly or repulsive. You know, we talk about Rachel Maddow, and we talk about how hideous she is. People think you're terrible. How dare you make fun of her looks? Well, did you see what she looked like before she was a feminist? Before she was a lesbian? She actually, at one time, was pretty decent looking. But then liberalism, feminism turned her into Rachel Mad Cow. Rachel Mad Cow, that's a little clunky. Um, you know, just this disgusting thing that she is right now. I disagree. I think Rachel Maddow is plenty pretty. I... I I don't see what's wrong with Rachel Maddow and her looks. And she's certainly not a cow, quote unquote. I mean, she's normal. She's not overweight or anything. I, I'm not really sure what he's getting at with that one. Folks, her ugliness is artificial. Her disgustingness is in her personality. It's in who she is. It's in what she stands for. It's in her demeanor. She was not born that way. But yet, look at what she is today. Feminism does that type of thing to people. Say a secular, okay, so that's the end of the quote from the video, from Tommy McMurtry, that's his quote. Back to the article, I think this is, um, this is Hemant Mehta speaking now. Say a secular prayer for the girls who have men like this as fathers. This isn't a sermon, it's just vileness under the guise of spreading Christianity. It's creating a congregation of men who think they must control their daughters before handing them off to other men just like them. It's bad enough when you say all that using polite language, quote-unquote. At least McMurtry's rhetoric matches the cruelty inside Christians like these. By the way, just minutes later, he lashes out against people who shave their heads as a form of breast cancer awareness. Are you kidding me? Saying, it's always the ugly women that do it. Are you, sh are you serious? Breast cancer awareness is fair game now for McMurtry? Give me a break. This is crazy. The irony in all this is that he's creating a template for men to raise daughters so they end up with men just like him. If that's your idea of a good man, good luck to you. Yeah, Tommy McMurtry is genuinely a terrible person. There's nothing good about this guy. He's a terrible guy. Um, he is under the wing of Steven Anderson, basically. And a lot of you guys probably know Steven Anderson. He's the founder and or leader of the new independent fundamentalist baptist church it is most definitely a cult 
in the truest sense. It's beyond just evangelical Christian, and they're filled with hate. Now, I've talked about this before. I don't believe in censorship under almost any circumstances. I think no matter how vile it is, the thing that you have to say doesn't matter. You have the right to say it. Because I enter every situation understanding that it's possible I could be wrong. Now, obviously, I don't think that I'm wrong in anything that I believe right now. Because if I did think I was wrong, I wouldn't think that way anymore. That's how it works. Everybody thinks that they're correct in their way of thinking. But you have to understand that you are probably wrong about some things that you believe. I'm, I'm probably wrong about some things I believe. You have to understand that going into literally any conversation, you might be the one in the wrong. So you have to allow people to say what they have to say. You have to allow me to say what I have to say, and I will grant you the same courtesy, no matter how vile. Stefan Molyneux, for example, says some real vile stuff, absolutely disgusting stuff. The guy is a monster, honestly. But I don't want to see his platform taken from him. I don't want to see him silenced, certainly not by force. But I do have a line. My line is, hey, it's snowing outside, fucking awesome. Anyway, my line is, the moment you start advocating for violence is the moment you lose your right to that platform. The moment you start saying that we should hurt somebody or, or whatever, that's when it's over for me. I'm not interested in what you have to say anymore, and I don't, I'm not interested in protecting your right to say it anymore. If you start inciting violence, I'm done. So Stefan Molyneux has not directly incited violence. He has not directly said, I believe that people should X or Y. They sh I believe that people should be put, you know, have the death penalty in this case or that case. He hasn't said any of that stuff. Tommy McMurtry, Steven Anderson, all these other guys, they have. They have said it. And so I don't believe that they should have a platform anymore, honestly. There may be cases in which Stefan Molyneux has called for violence. If that's the case, I want his platform yanked too. As of this moment, Sargon of Akkad, I am unaware of any time when he is called for violence, so I don't want his platform yanked. I am unaware of a time when Stefan Molyneux has directly called for violence, so I don't want his platform yanked. I am unaware of a time when... Uh, what's his name from, originally from Breitbart, um, Milo Yiannopoulos, that's it. I'm unaware of a time when Milo Yiannopoulos is called for violence, so I don't want his platform yanked. I try to be as liberal as possible as far as allowing people to speak goes. They have some, all three of those people have vile, disgusting things to say, and they are of no value. The things that they have to say, in my eyes, are of no value. They are actively causing harm. I, I will even go that far. But they have the right to say it. These guys do not anymore, in my eyes. The NIFB 
does not have a right to speak in front of a crowd anymore because they have actively called for the deaths of these groups or that group, you know, these minorities. That's unacceptable. That crosses my line. So there are cases in which things that people say lead to something called stochastic terrorism. So this is the definition of stochastic terrorism. The public demonization of a person or group resulting in the incitement of a violent act, which is statistically probable, but whose specifics cannot be predicted. Uh, Here's its use in a sentence. The lone wolf attack was apparently influenced by the rhetoric of stochastic terrorism. So it's kind of a complicated thing. Like you can't just... You can't just say that Stefan Molyneux is 100% nonviolent. His rhetoric is nonviolent, but the things that he says sometimes do lead to violence, and that complicates it. Like, should we yank his platform for that reason? Because it, you know, it is leading to violence, what he's saying. Uh, Same with Sargon. It's leading to attacks and things like that. But in my eyes, the line is actively saying that you want this thing to happen. And like I said, the NIFB crossed that line. They said that they want... I mean, just right here. Look in this. Okay, he said uh, he longed for the good old days when being anti-gay was respected... Those were the days, he said, when we put gay people in their place, six feet under. So that that is directly saying, I want this thing to happen. It, it's pretty direct. And that's enough for me to call it. Like, he shouldn't be allowed to speak in front of a crowd anymore. So a while back, uh, I think like a, a week or two ago, I did this video with Stephen Hassan. Uh, which, as a lot of you guys know, he's one of my personal heroes. I love the dude. He's he's awesome. Uh, I was really, truly, deeply honored to have him on my YouTube channel. He came on my channel and wanted to talk about Donald Trump. So I I said yes, of course. You know, if Stephen Hassan wants to come on my YouTube channel to talk about a cult, I I I'm going to say yes. Bottom line, I don't care. Um, I mean, I, I will critically examine it after, and if I, if I disagree with something that he said, then I will put it in there for sure. I will, I, I'm not going to blindly close my mind off and accept anything the guy says, but I'm going to discuss it with him. Bottom line, I'm going to discuss it. I, it, it I'd be foolish to, not, to say, no, I'm not going to discuss this with you. I'm going to hear him out. Because the guy has credibility in my eyes and a lot of other people's eyes. So he contacts me. He asks if, if I want to have him on my channel to talk about Donald Trump, right? Of course, I say yes. So I bring him on, and we are talking about his book, The Cult of Trump. Uh, and honestly, I, I thought the interview went really well at the time. I don't usually watch my videos through after they're done. I just, you know, I I do the editing, I do the drawings and everything else, and I push the video out, I upload it, and I'm done. I'm never going to watch that thing again because there's something, like, that bothers me about listening to my own voice, you know. 
So that's basically what I did with this video. I pushed it out and and I didn't plan on watching it again. But I got a lot of negative feedback on the video. So I decided to watch the video through one more time to see if like maybe he said something that I disagree with. Maybe I said something without thinking that that's legitimately, you know, I should address. Maybe I was wrong about something. Maybe he was wrong about something. So I decided to give the video another listen and really think about it as objectively as I can. Like, do I agree with everything that I said and everything that he said in the video? And if I didn't, if, if I disagreed with something that was said in there, I, I intended to go back, make an update, and talk about my feelings more in depth on the video. So I, I give it a listen through, and it legit just sounded regular like we were talking about cults all the way through we didn't even really touch on trump really until near the end of the video um we were talking a lot about dominionism and the family which is the cult that mike pence is a part of and things like that uh we were just talking about cults i don't i i really honestly didn't see what was controversial about it at all and then i asked Hassan about the bite model. I asked him to explain it, and then I asked which points on the bite model Trump meets. So his whole bit with Trump as a cult leader is that there are full-fledged cults that are forming underneath Trump, kind of following him, even worshiping him. I mean, legitimately. I'm not, this isn't like an exaggeration. This is like these people actually exist. And there are a lot of extremist Christian groups that follow him as a leader. Um, whether Trump is intelligent or not is completely irrelevant. The things that he's doing, the things that he says, are the things that cult leaders say and do. It's the, he's fostering the mindset that the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses or the prophets of Mormonism do. It's the same exact thing. And it's, there shouldn't be anything wrong about acknowledging and examining that, honestly. So anyway, I wanted to take, the point here is I wanted to look at some of the comments on my Trump video. I thought it would be really interesting. So let's just see what some of them have to say. What about cult of Hillary and Obama? No comments. Laffy, laffy, laffy. What, here's, here's my response to that. There's something called the Tukokwi a logical fallacy here's the the logical fallacy defined it's also known as the u2 fallacy hypocrisy personal inconsistency claiming the argument is flawed by pointing out that the one making the argument is not acting consistently with the claims of the argument so here's the logical form person one is claiming that y is true but person one is acting as if y is not true therefore y must not be true you should not be eating that. It has been scientifically proven that eating fat burgers are no good for your health. You eat fat burgers all the time, so that can't be true. That's the whole idea behind it. That's, that's the idea behind the logical fallacy that this person is using. What about the cult of Hillary and Obama? No comments. That's completely irrelevant. I, I'm not saying anything about Hillary and Obama. We're not even talking about that. Fine. We'll say, just for argument's sake, sure, they're cult leaders, whatever. 
just for argument's sake. That does not change what was said about Donald Trump. Next comment here. Not a Trump supporter, but when the professor spoke, you notice all political parties are cult-like. No, we're not talking about political parties. This whole video is not about political parties. We're not talking about conservatives. We're not talking about liberals. We're talking about Donald Trump. That's completely different. Uh, the next one says, so did you join Atheism Plus already? Give me a break. I, I don't know anything about Atheism Plus, honestly. I understand that it, it was a really toxic thing. And it's really not something you want to be a part of at all. But just for not liking Trump, they're categorizing me into a group, an extremist group. Ask Berlin Walls don't work. Okay. I'm not really sure what that means. Berlin Wall doesn't work. Whatever. Isn't Dominionism basically a Christian theocracy movement? Then it's not like Wahhabism. It's just like mainstream Islam. See, no. This is one of the big issues here, too. The fact that people are generalizing way, way, way too much. Um, Islam itself is too broad of a term to call a cult or call extreme. It's like saying Christianity is extreme or a cult. It's too broad. You need to narrow down, get down to specific groups. Uh, not every single Muslim in the world is extreme. Not every one of them. There are some Muslims out there who are pretty chill, who are relaxed, don't hate anybody for anything, don't even wear hijabs. Some of them don't even wear hijabs. Uh, they shave their beards. They, they live their lives. If those people exist in a reasonably high volume, it's not a cult. You need to narrow it down and find the cult in Islam. Wahhabism is extreme. I would, it's more of a movement, so I don't know that I'd call that a cult either, but, you know, it's got cult-like tendencies and it could very easily be a cult. Anything that branches off of Wahhabism is probably a cult. Uh, ISIS, most definitely a cult. A Muslim cult, they are, they are out there. But calling Islam a cult is just too broad. doesn't make any sense. Wow, that was definitely one of my favorite videos of yours, Owen. You guys touched on so many interesting topics, not just Trump. Stephen Hassan has instantly become one of my heroes. He's been one of my heroes for a long time, so glad you liked that. This video is awesome, terrifying, but awesome. Great interview. If Trump supporters are a cult, at least they are a unified one. The left is a cult that is eating itself. Um... At least they're a unified cult. Is it preferable to be unified? The left is extremely broad also. It's like saying Christianity or Islam. The left is not specific in any way. And I feel like it's, it's absurd to say the left is a cult that is eating itself. Like, there is nothing logical or consistent about that claim in any way shape or form the left is a cult that really bothers me if trump supporters are a cult at least they're a unified one that's not a point in their favor that's a point against them fyi being heavily unified across uh an entire group of people just speaks to how cult-like it is the whole unification thing is really really 
cult-like and not good. So I'm not sure what they were getting at, but they didn't really support their point in the end. Like I said, there are left-wing political cults. They do exist. But the left is not a cult. There are Islamic cults. Islam is not a cult. There are Christian cults. Christianity is not a cult. You don't understand how this works, if that's how you feel. You don't understand what a cult is, or how it operates, or how they keep people subjugated. If you believe that, if you actually believe that, you have no understanding of how this works, or even what I'm fighting for. Why are you on my channel commenting here? If you have no clue what I'm even talking about. It's like everything that I've said for the past three years just went right over your head. Conservative atheists are the biggest idiots, almost as big of idiots as fiscal conservatives who think rich people need more tax breaks, eat the rich. Um, I don't usually like calling people idiots because I feel like it's not productive. It doesn't help the conversation. It, sh it, it just shuts people down. It, it raises that guard. Conversation is over the moment somebody gets called an idiot. They're done talking. They don't, they're not going to listen to anything else you have to say. You completely lose credibility in their eyes. So generally, I, I discourage people calling others idiots. I don't think conservative, any conservatives are idiots, really. Not by default, not inherently. Uh, I disagree with their political beliefs, but... Um, they're not idiots. I mean, they're not, not for that. Who knows why they believe what they believe? I'm sure that they have a good reason in their minds for believing it, just like I have a good reason for believing what I believe in my mind. I mean, my brother is conservative. He's a libertarian, right-wing, leans heavily right-wing, and he's not an idiot at all. So anyway, I just he hesitate to call anybody idiots. Nonsense, you flaming imbeciles. Well, that's a good criticism, right? Glad he addressed all of the points that I laid out in the past 28 minutes in this video. Uh, just call me an imbecile. I'm so happy for you, Owen. You must be so psyched. I imagine Mr. Hassan must be like a mentor to you. Yes. Let's see. If Jesus came back, he'll still have long hair and he'll had tattoos, piercings, and riding a steel horse so loud that it can be heard in hell. Um, not sure what that means, but alrighty. Let's see. Closest thing to a cult is the socialist communist movement taking place with Bernie Sanders, Hillary, and Obama as the leadership. Are you kidding me? The socialist communist movement taking place with Bernie, Hillary, and Obama as leadership. I, I, I honestly am not even sure how to respond to that. Uh, hence the reason why I didn't respond at all. That's... That is absurd. First of all, none of those three people are socialist. I'm not socialist either. One of the defining factors of socialism, it, as far as I know, is the government controls the means of production and supply. So, as far as I understand it, with socialism, the government owns the factories and they provide the things that the factories produce to the people. I do not believe in that. Bernie Sanders doesn't. Hillary and Obama don't. That's not... Uh, 
Anytime that's been implemented throughout history, it has led to a failed state. Maybe there's some way to do that without leading to a failed state, but I'm a little skeptical, so I'm going to say no on that. I am not socialist in any sense of the term. Uh, I, I believe in a social democracy, and I, I like some programs, some socialist programs that the government has. Like, for example, I like Social Security. I think it's really good. I like Medicare. I think that's solid. We should be doing things like that more. So, yeah, Bernie, Hillary, and Obama are not socialist, and they're not communist. None of them are either of those two things. And there could be an argument for saying that communist movements in the past have been cults. I could get on board with that. But communism is not a cult by definition. So, of course, if Trump had no adult supporting his crimes and lies, his puppet leadership would fall as quickly as normal lawful times. Interesting. For God's sake, stop calling everything you don't like a cult. And what happened to not covering politics? I'm not covering politics. This is not about politics at all. This is about Donald Trump. And, and it's about how Donald Trump is linked to cults, to Christian cults, and how he encourages a lot of the same behaviors that cult leaders encourage has nothing to do with politics. Nothing to do with conservatives or liberals or any of that. We're talking about cults and one person. That person and that person's personality, how they act. It doesn't matter what position that person is in. It's completely irrelevant. We're talking about how he acts. It's not politics. It's Donald Trump. So, anyways, that's, that's what I've been dealing with. I think YouTube was suggesting it to, like, the wrong people for a while. It, it's interesting because I put out a video fairly recently, pretty much unconnected to any of this stuff, and I got a lot of adversarial comments on it, like a lot of angry... I think it was a Jehovah's Witness video. I got a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses commenting on it. And it actually lost me subscribers. The video did. Now, bear in mind, this is the same, you know, content I've been putting out for three years. Nothing different about it. But YouTube was suggesting it to, like, Jehovah's Witnesses and people who are sympathetic to Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, for, like, the first two or three days. And, and I actually was in negative subscribers for that video. I was gaining net 70 subscribers per day, which is low. It's on the low side for a channel my size. For a channel my size, I like to see over 100 or 150 new subscribers per day. But I was gaining 70 when this video released. And two or three days later, it was just really sudden. The views maintained a, the same trajectory, roughly. Like, the views didn't go up or down. They just kind of stayed the same. Uh, they, they stayed on the same upward path as they were before. But all of a sudden, all of the comments on that video were really positive. And they were really, like, encouraging and, like, so glad you're doing this and this needs to be said and uh, all this other stuff. And I started gaining 150 200, 250 subscribers a day. So it's like YouTube knows that there's this group of people who watch content that's similar to this. 
and they were suggesting it to them. But they were suggesting it to people on the wrong side of the argument. They were suggesting it to people, to, to Jehovah's Witnesses, basically. And they were hate-watching it and leaving comments and disliking it. And then YouTube corrected it, like self-corrected itself and started sending it out to people on the other side of the argument. People who were like exiting Jehovah's Witnesses, for example. That's the kind of thing that happens. Like YouTube does that kind of thing. It's a very, very complex system. And people don't realize, like even I don't realize what goes into this. Like what goes into YouTube's system of suggestions and stuff. It's very, very complex. But that's exactly what happened with the Trump video, too, with the Hassan video. I released it. I got nothing but hate comments from Trump supporters for, like, the first two days. Still staying on the same trajectory view-wise, roughly. It lost me, like, 400 subscribers or something like that, total. And all of a sudden, after that, almost all of the comments, after a couple of days, were positive and encouraging. And I started gaining subscribers again, so... I don't know. I just think it's fascinating how it works. It's really, really fascinating stuff. I found this article on ChristianPost.com. I'm going to assume that this is a Christian blog written by Christians for Christians, and it's about Jehovah's Witnesses. My encounter with a knock at the door. Who really are Jehovah's Witnesses is the title of the article. I thought it'd be an interesting thing to kind of get a glimpse into how Jehovah's Witnesses are viewed by other Christians. Uh, so I figured we'd give this article a read and see, kind of get some insight into their viewpoints on this. So let's start at the beginning. It says, I recently had a knock on my door from a couple who belonged to the Watchtower of Bible and Tract Society, Jehovah's Witnesses. Those are two different things, by the way. Watchtower Society and Jehovah's Witnesses are two independent entities, two independent corporations. There's the Christian Congregation of Jehovah's Witnesses. That's the religion, and that's what the governing body runs. And then there's the Watchtower Society. And the governing body doesn't really have, doesn't have an official role in the Watchtower Society. The Jehovah's Witnesses actually split the two up because they wanted to have some legal protection. So they put, like, the database of names of, you know, offenders and things like, like sex offenders. They put that database under the Watchtower Society, and then they put themselves over top of the Christian Congregation of Jehovah's Witnesses so that if they were court-ordered, they could say, I'm not affiliated with the Watchtower Society, I have nothing to do with it, I can't help it, blah, blah, blah. Didn't really work in the end. The judge saw right through it and ordered them to turn it over anyways. But at any rate, the two things are separate. They're not synonymous. Anyways, it says, Their character and respect for my family were impressive, something we can all learn from. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm encouraged to be at peace with all people, even those who have different beliefs. But the Bible also encourages me to boldly and confidently present a scriptural basis for truth and to compare differences to be a peacemaker, but not a religious negotiator. Oh, man, this is fascinating. Historical Christianity is built on two primary foundations, the fact that Jesus is God and the inerrancy of the Bible. We can't be united if we're divided on these foundational issues. While the following points may help you better understand the differences between Christians and Jehovah's Witnesses, or JWs, as they call themselves, I want to be clear that this article represents my interaction with many JWs over the years and may not reflect what they all believe. First of all, um, the, the Bible is not inerrant. 
there are errors in it, clearly. I, nobody can truly deny that and be honest with themselves. There are errors in the Bible. There are contradictions all through it. In fact, if you're interested in looking at the, uh, the errors, you can get something called the Skeptics Annotated Bible, or you can go to bibviz.com, B-I-B-V-I-Z.com, and it will actually show you a chart. Actually, um, well, let me just pull it up. This is, the, this is bibviz.com. The, the, these are all of the contradictions throughout all of the Bible. Look at it. So let's just pick any random contradiction and, and see. See, this one is, God does not repent. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? So these are in favor of God not repenting. And then there's, And also the strength of Israel will not lie or repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. That was 1 Samuel 15, 29. Five verses in the Bible say, in the Old Testament, say that he does not repent. And then we've got ten verses from the Bible that say he does repent, at least eight of which are also from the Old Testament. We've got Genesis 6-6, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Exodus 32-14, and the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Amos 7-3, which is also Old Testament, I believe, the Lord repented for this, it shall not be, saith the Lord. Jonah 3.10, And God saw their works, and they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. So this is just one simple example of contradictions in the Bible, like a billion of them. Just look at all of these. There are like thousands of contradictions, seriously. It's a mess. It's amazing. I'm so glad somebody threw this together. But the Skeptics Annotated Bible talks about this. It's something to think about. You guys could definitely look into that. It's really interesting. So if you are sitting there telling me that there are no errors in the Bible, you're lying to yourself. So let's get back to the article. Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, through the New World Translation, which is their translation of the Bible, claim that their version of the Bible is scholarly and more accurate. However, the translators were not biblical scholars or theologians. David Reed, an ex-witness, says that the New World Translation came into being in 1961 for the sole purpose of denying that Jesus is God. Uh, In 1913, Charles Taze Russell, the first editor of what is now called the Watchtower, was asked in court if he knew Greek. At first, he said yes, until he was asked to read the Greek alphabet. At that point, he admitted that he didn't know the language the original manuscripts were written in. This presents an important question. Whose Bible is right? Let me tell you this. One of the biggest problems with the New World Translation is the fact that we don't know who translated it. They don't list... The translators, they were not PhDs in the fields. They weren't research professors. They were uh, people who know the language and translated it. So they're not trying to piggyback off of their, um, their name or anything to lend credibility to the translation, which is actually important. You need to know who translated it and why they translated it the way they did. Now, the New World Translation does have some issues. It has some errors, and 
in my opinion, like I said, this is just my opinion, but some of the wording changes that were made in the New World Translation seem to be supporting the beliefs that are already held by Jehovah's Witnesses to begin with. So they will they have these prophecies that they believe in, right? They've believed in these prophecies for like since the inception of the religion. Like the 1914 teaching. Something I've noticed about the New World Translation about their Bible is that some of the words that they chose to use when they translated, which is up for debate honestly, some of the words are it can be translated one way or another, honestly. But some of the words that they chose to use in the translation support their already preconceived ideas about the prophecies that they believe exist in the first place. So they use verses from Daniel, Revelation, and Numbers to come up with the 1914 teaching. When they came up with the prophecy, they were using, like, the King James Bible, for example, right? When they wrote their own, when they translated their own version of the Bible, they picked words that supported what they already believed about it. So I I honestly don't trust the New World Translation as far as I can throw it. I, I think it's complete BS. I'd rather read the NIV Bible. It's about as accurate as you can get when you're working with an old language, an old de facto dead language, you know, Aramaic and some old Hebrew and things like that. You you can't get it perfect, bottom line, but NIV isn't terrible. Oh, and this is true. This bit that they said about uh, Charles Taze Russell, in court, he admitted that he did not know Greek. That's That is true. They have done revisions and stuff since Charles Taze Russell, but yeah, New World Translation is called into question. Its, it's credibility is called into question. And for the record, I'm not going to explain why on this, because I feel like I've already gone on for a while on this subject, but the Trinity uh, actually is untrue. I mean, I'm an atheist. I have no dog in this fight. I'm just saying the Trinity, the wording in the Bible was changed hundreds of years later to make it look like the Trinity was true. In reality, it's not. The Bible does not imply that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one being in any sense. They are all three separate things in the Bible, in reality. Anyway, you can read about it. Check out Bart Ehrman if you wonder. E-H-R-M-A-N. It's an extremely fascinating, um, an extremely fascinating thing to read about. And he does a lot of videos and things. So anyway, let me continue on with the article here. A very brief history lesson. Christians acquired their Bible from two primary sources. The first is the the Byzantine or received text, which is not the oldest, but it's the majority. But it is the majority as far as how many manuscripts we have on hand. It was the traditional text of the Greek-speaking churches and where the King James Version, the New King James Version, and the NASB Bibles came from. The other school of text is from Alexandria. It's the earliest we have, but it's in the minority regarding how many manuscripts have been found. The variances in these two manuscripts are minor and do not disagree on anything significant. For more about how we got our Bible, click here 
or search How We Got Our Bible by Shane Eidelman on YouTube. I would say just read Bart Ehrman or, or watch videos from Bart Ehrman. He's a PhD, a professor, I think. And he went into the whole thing planning on... He was a, an extremist Christian. He went into it planning on proving that the Bible was real, that God was real and everything. That was his intent when he started his career path as a Bible scholar. And as time went on, he realized that the Bible is not inerrant. Bottom line, it is not. And that shook his faith, and he became an atheist after that. Richard Carrier is also a scholar in the fields, and there's a little bit of a debate between Carrier and Ehrman on whether or not Jesus is real, but it's still fascinating. You should give them both a read. They're really fascinating guys. Okay, let's, let's read this, this last section here. So here's the first divide. It's common knowledge that Charles Taze Russell left the Christian church. See, they're referring to themselves as Christians, and they're saying Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christians. I disagree. If they identify as Christian, then they're Christian. Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses do. They're Christian. Bottom line, okay? Heaven's Gate was a UFO cult. They claimed to be Christian, too. I know you don't like that. I know you don't want to claim them as yours, but it's theirs to claim. If they say they're Christian, then they're Christian. So here's the first divide. It's common knowledge that Charles Taze Russell left the Christian church around 1872 at age 20 because he could not reconcile the idea of an eternal hell with God's mercy. Fair enough. Hellfire teaching is also false. Hellfire and Trinity. Jehovah's Witnesses did get those two things correct, and they use those two correct assessments to give their other ridiculous ideas credibility. So anyway, they are correct about it either way. Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus is their founder, not Charles Taze Russell. Nope. They say Jesus is their leader, not their founder. They say Charles Taze Russell is the founder. Yet in comparing the words of Jesus with Charles, we find a clear difference. One example out of many is that Jesus said to fear God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Again, hellfire teaching is not actually in the Bible. It was added later. And it, it, our view of hell now is largely based on uh, the chapter Dante's Inferno in the book. Um, what was the name of the book? I don't remember the name of the book. Anyway, just search for Dante's Inferno and you can give it a read. It, it, it's largely formed out by that. Jehovah's Witnesses teach that this is not a literal hell, but even a plain reading of Scripture says otherwise. No, the plain reading of Scripture actually says, the living are conscious that they will die, but the dead are conscious of nothing at all. How do you square that with the fact that the Bible, in the, the interlinear version, where you can like look at how the words are translated, it never talks about a hell or hellfire the way that Christians believe it now. Like I said, I don't believe in the Bible at all. I'm an atheist. I think it's all nonsense. And Jehovah's Witnesses are using the things that they actually get factually correct, like hellfire and the Trinity, to lend credibility to their other ridiculous ideas. But they just so happen to be correct about this. Hellfire is false. The Trinity is false. Bottom line.
If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I'm trying to make a shirt design for every cult I've covered. I haven't gotten every one, but I'm working on it. So check it out and see if your cult is up there. Second, you can support me by checking out my game shop. I sell controller, cartridge, and game box stands for every system from the original Nintendo and Sega Game Gear to the Xbox One and Nintendo Switch. So give that a look too. And finally, if you want to support me in some way other than monetarily, you can check out my other YouTube channels. I have a retro game channel where I answer questions like, why does Shy Guy have a mask? And why are CRT TVs the best way to play retro games? I also have the podcast where I talk about stuff I don't feel I can say on a monetized channel. And finally, I have my main channel, where I talk about cults. I wish I didn't have to worry about dancing around subjects carefully in the first place, but I chose to do this as a full-time job, so unfortunately, I rely on YouTube's AdSense and on the support of patrons to continue doing the work I do. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.